Today we start with what you only think you know. My name is Matthew Grohl. And this is a nice moment. Let's not ruin it. My name is Shapir Dowd. And I am Matt Bronsdorf, and I'm here to take the highway to the danger zone. I'm <laughs> gonna take a ride right into the danger zone. And if you're still here, thank you. Thank you. Hi, so much. everyone. Welcome back to the show. Welcome back, Matt. Hello. Hello. Hi. How are you, friend? I am good. I'm good. It has been too long, my my it, my dear friends. It is so sweet uh, to see your lovely, beautiful faces. It, it is. It, I, I appreciate. I appreciate you being here. I appreciate you, uh, the eventual conversation we're going to have about Top Gun Maverick. I appreciate the faux excitement for acting like you just started talking with us after we did about 35 minutes of tech support for all three of us and all of our various systems. So thank you for hanging in there for that as well. You know, honestly, I, I have one of those little flashy thingies, you know, the, the mm -hmm. Will Smith flashy thingy. So I don't know what you're talking about. I, this is oh, made in black. I just got here. Oh, okay. I thought you were just going to slap me across the face for whatever it is I'm about to say. No, 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 no. But keep my wife's name out your motherfucking mouth, okay? <laughs> well, oh, you won't. And we're off. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> lovely to have you back on the show, Matt. And, and, and Shahir, you, uh, you sound a little different, buddy. Where are you? Yeah, I have recently moved office because my home life situation has changed dramatically. And no, I'm not getting a divorce. I just have more people in the house than, than uh, previously was. So I'm not able to accommodate a work-from-home office. So I have... Uh, in the words of the founder, was it, what is the founder's name? Uh, Newman? New, uh, Paul Newman. No, Paul been. Newman. The WeWork founder. The I salsa have, guy? I have, yeah. I have embraced the culture of WeWork and I am now in a WeWork office. Uh, so I may sound a little bit echoey-er. I don't know if listeners knew this. I mean, I'm sure we've talked about this a lot, but I, I was previously recording from my closet, which is the best sound insulation you can get. Uh, unfortunately, now I am recording in a refractive glass room, which is probably the worst sound insulation you can get. Um, so uh, if there is any anomalies there, I apologize in advance. But just imagine that you have come out of a loud, screaming jet engine propelled sound-filled movie theater, I may sound a little bit nicer to you than that, perhaps? Maybe. Perhaps. Maybe. No, no, no. You, no, you, you, no. Just, you, just, you just described the most wonderful thing that's happened to me in the last week, so oh. you're wrong. <laughs> Matt, uh, or oh, Braunstorff, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to like, uh, shout yeah. Matt B on this one just so... Uh, you just, know, like, just, uh, I think we've been over this before. Just call me Brawny. Everyone else does. Brawny. Well, I was going to like the Spice Girls, Mel B and Mel C. Oh, um, that works but, too. That works too. Um, but, but I'm Mel K. You're Mel K. <laughs> M, uh, Nima. Um, but Matt, you recently shot a feature film, as I understand it. Uh, yes, yes. Uh, my, I just finished actually my second. Oh, which, wow. Uh, yeah. Uh, the last time I was on this show, uh, we talked about the, the Andrew Garfield social media movie, which I can't remember the name. Which I didn't see. Yes. Uh, oh, which, yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, must be. It the... Society Ro was it Roman Coppola? So it was one of the Coppolas made that. Yeah, film. yeah, it was. Yeah, <laughs> so it was. Bad it was. That we don't remember so, the name. Uh, Sophia's daughter, Gia <laughs> Coppola. Gia Coppola. It wasn't bad. I remember liking it. I just can't tell you what the name of it is. <laughs> my my uh, recollection is that uh, Eighth Grade was better. That's all. That's all it came down to. <laughs> mainstream. The name of the movie was mainstream. Mainstream. Was... That's what it was. <laughs> uh, well, listen, listen. That's true to its namesake. Because if it's about streaming culture and and, and uh, from you know from a YouTuber or, or TikTok or whatever sort of perspective, 
That's the goal. Watch the thing, never remember it again, unless you become a meme, and then you take the wrong thing from it forever. So it, we, this this actually played into the movie's strengths, I feel, by not remembering its name. <laughs> yes, indeed, indeed. But uh, since but, that period, you have now moved into the uh, the the world of image making. You were always there, but image yes. making for the feature length narrative fe- films. Is that correct? yes? Uh, to 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 put it bluntly, uh, I am lucky enough to say that Life Dream achieved. Twice Life within dream. within a year. I've I've movies is what I've always wanted to do. Always wanted right. to make feature films. Yes, web content is fine. Yes, TV right. is fine too. Short films are fun. But mm. now having two features under my belt, uh, it feels great. You know, I I shot the first one last summer, right after we did the the mainstream episode, and mm-hmm. that was a much more indie feature. And I was like, okay, you know, I'll make this movie, and then it'll take a year to go through post, and then maybe I'll get in some festivals, and then maybe somebody will see it, and then maybe I'll get to shoot another movie. But six months later, the producer of that first movie recommended me for another one, and I got that job too. So there you go. Nice. So it's, nice. it's all it's all good. And what was the aesthetic you were bringing to the table for these particular movies? Um, okay, so yeah. both of them have social media presences. So as far as I'm concerned, without giving out you know the tiny n- nitty gritty details, I I can talk about them. Um, okay. The first film uh, was an erotic thriller. Um, nice. And oh, okay, what hang I on. so I'm just gonna get ready for this one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what I what attracted me to it, I guess, in terms of what I could bring to it, um, was there is some reality bending elements to it. And when mm. somebody, sa- somebody says that to me, that means that, oh, great. As a cinematographer, I don't need to be concerned with reality or slice of life. I can have a lot of fun with my visuals. I can have, you know, mm-hmm. lenses with lots of personality. I can have lighting that isn't necessarily motivated because it all ties into the thing that we're trying to do. Right. Um, and so, I, you know, I shot that on anamorphics. Uh, nice. And I shot, the, I shot them with Lomo anamorphics. So there's a lot of distortion in the, in the cool. wider lenses. Um, and, uh, yeah, there was, there was a lot of play with color that I got to do because some of that movie in terms of its reality bending is, um, uh, it's hint, it's finding ways to hint to the audience that what you're seeing isn't real without telling them directly. So that was, that was where I got to play. An unreliable cinematographer, if you will. <laughs> indeed, indeed, indeed. <laughs> I don't think, no, I don't think, an unreliable narrator an is totally unreliable fine. An unreliable cinematographer, if you is the will. last thing you want near any movie. <laughs> like, where is I'm, he? I'm going with my He's cold. very unreliable. <laughs> He's it's unreliable. What, what are we going to do? <laughs> we just we have, we have 32 card. shots we have to get to. Cinematographer was unreliable. <laughs> Amazing. Um, and then the, the, the second feature was more of a um, traditional sitcom-y um, setup. Uh, mm-hmm. And the, the director was very into the aesthetic of like early, 90, early 90s comedies like My Cousin Vinny or mm-hmm. Mrs. Doubtfire. Um, and so what I brought to that was a much more reserved approach, which is mm-hmm. I'm not the star of the show. I will compose a nice frame. I will light a nice frame. But the, mm-hmm. the actors and the, the physical comedy, that's the star of the show. So it is my job to make sure that that is featured and featured well. So right. that is what I brought to that project. Very nice. cool. Yeah. Uh, were there any jet engines in any of this movie, by the way? Just so we, just so we, you know, make that clear. No jet engines. No jet engines. Uh, so <laughs> hopefully, that hopefully for number someday. three. Yes, yes that'll, yeah. that'll be number three. That'll be number. That's three. your hat trick. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and yeah. uh, you know, just before we move on to Top Gun, I guess I was just really curious as well. What what um, what had you been watching in order to prepare for those films? Like, what visually as a cinematographer, what had you either gotten you excited recently, or what did you revisit in order to prepare for either of those films? 
Um, well, for for the second film, which I'll just the, again social media presence. The, the second yeah. film is called Out of Order, um, yeah. and for that one, it was literally you know the, the references that the director had mentioned. Uh, Mrs. Doubtfire, my cousin Vinny, uh, liar, liar. I actually had, I bought an iPad specifically so I could load all of those movies onto my iPad. And if I ever found myself in a moment where I was stuck and didn't know how to light a certain scene because I had to throw my shot list out because of scheduling X, Y, and Z, um, mm-hmm. I could then refer to them and be like, okay, wait, how did they do this thing? Okay, all right, that's how they covered it. Because um, right. it was also, it's a courtroom comedy, which is something I've never been in a courtroom before. So it's sort of like, just reminding myself and keeping that visual language of a courtroom fresh in my mind. So those were the right. movies for that. Uh, the other one was a bunch of stuff. Uh, some, somewhat related to what we're talking to tonight, uh, I pulled some scenes from Days of Thunder. Um, nice. <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, because, you know, the romantic scenes, like nobody, every, every, every yeah. Tony Scott movie happens at Magic oh, Hour. That is entire... a Tony Scott. Sorry, I'm thinking of... Um... Uh, the the Irish uh, Sittler movie that they did. Uh, oh, that, Far and uh, Away. Far and Away. Far and Away, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, D- Days of Thunder was the, the reunion with uh, Tom Cruise yeah, and, and, and uh, Tony Scott after doing Top Gun. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so yeah, that, that was one. And then a bunch of Fincher stuff. Because right. Fincher, Fincher does some, some subtle stuff with color that I wanted to see if I could try and emulate. You know, everything looking like puke green. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's that's those those are the references I pulled for that. Very nice. Well, I'm I'm excited to watch them upon their releases. Hopefully soon. Hopefully soon. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Uh, but gentlemen, today we're here to talk about an, a, a very specific need. <laughs> um, <laughs> does anyone else know what that need is? Is it um no? The need is it the need for aspirin? No, no. Is no. it the need for Creed, the band? No, the band. I mean, Scott Stepp, I think. <laughs> That's our surprise fourth guest, ladies and gentlemen. No. Um, here, no, he, here uh, he is with arms wide open. With arms <laughs> wide open. Uh, under the, the sunlight. Uh, welcome to this world. I'll show you everything. Um, uh, no, it is the need for speed, you sons of bitches. Uh, yes, 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 <laughs> Come yes, yes, on. Yes, yes. Great game, not great game. Great, uh, Need for Speed <laughs> Underground, actually a superior sub-series to the original, in my opinion, but now... Uh, uh, I'm a Hot series... Pursuit guy, okay? Oh, wow. <laughs> I, well, that whole series is in the toilet right now, as far as I know, so uh, R.I.P. Need for Speed. No, we're talking about Tom Gunn Maverick. Fuck yeah. Come on, so when was the... Did, did either of you revisit Top Gun for this? I mm-hmm. sure did, Shahir. <laughs> so did I. Actually, Shahir. I revisited Top Gun and Hot Shots. Uh, as an exercise. <laughs> excellent, excellent. I, so, uh, I, I, I do a thing with, my, um, with some of my buddies where every Thursday night we do Dude Night, D-O-O-D. Right. We, watch, mm-hmm. we, we watch quote-unquote dude movies, so it's a lot of Stallone and Schwarzenegger. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, the week before Top Gun Maverick, which many of us had tickets to see on opening night, we watched the first Top Gun together. Right, nice. nice. And how uh, did, how, for, for both of you, how did the film, how did the original hold up before we dive into the, 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 the sequel? I mean, I, okay, I was never a huge fan of Top Gun. Mm-hmm. I watched it when I was young. For whatever reason, fighter jets never, never did anything for me. Like, I was never, like, excited about the, co- I was, I think I was too nerdy. Right. I honestly think that that was the, the, the case. I, uh, I was way more into Star Wars, Star Trek, 
um, you know, Jurassic Park, that sort of like nonsense stuff. And I didn't, I didn't see Top Gun until I was, I don't know, maybe like 13 or 14. And by then, I don't know if it was a pacing issue or, or what it was for me, but like I just didn't connect with it. I was not excited by it. Uh, I don't remember disliking it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just never, it was never a film that I was excited about. And and so when this movie was announced, I was like, oh, I know a lot of people that will be very happy when this movie comes out. That's a nice thing. When I rewatched it, I have to say, I mean, I don't think it entirely ages well, but I I I think I enjoyed it much more as an adult. Hmm. Like, like, I feel like it, like, I was infected. We go back to what we were talking about before about how, you know, what media and culture and how we ingest it sort of like at these days feels like, you know, you just catch on to the meme or like whatever and you move on. I feel like my brain had just been riddled with just Top Gun memes, like mm-hmm. volleyball and uh, the, the catchphrases and like all that nonsense. And I, I, I actually don't think I fully remembered or uh, uh, internalized the actual movie in and of itself. Mm-hmm. And uh, I have to say, I, I actually very much enjoyed watching it again. Granted, there's problems and there's pacing issues and whatever, but like from from me going in and being like, ah, I don't really remember loving this movie to being like, oh, Oh, like I, I, I see this now. I get, I get the whole cultural zeitgeist thing now being forty fucking years old. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Matt, I just talked way too long. What about you? How no, was your no, it's totally fine. I, I love. Look, I listen to almost every episode of the show except for uh, the ones I haven't for movies I haven't seen. So please talk. I, I enjoy your insights. Um, uh, so I would say that my experience with Top Gun is not too dissimilar from yours. Uh, Mel B or no Mel C. Uh, uh, you know, I grew up. Uh, we we talked about it before. I grew up on Days of Thunder. That was the one right. that my dad was really into. But that's because I also come from a car family. My uncle raced. My dad raced. My uncle. My other uncle raced. Um, so Days of Thunder was the one that was sort of like pummeled into my brain. Um, so I saw Top Gun a lot later, and I remember thinking it was fine. And mm. my biggest issue was. For a movie that came out at a time when action movies, you know, were at the beginning of what I would consider the, you know, 20-year golden age there, um, it was a little incoherent in terms of some of the way that it's <laughs> photographed. Um, yeah. Now, uh, watching it again, uh, uh, you know, uh, two weeks ago, I also enjoyed it more than I did the first time. Um, but I still had this similar problem, which is like, it's a really entertaining, straightforward story, which again, we'll get into this later when we Mm -hmm. talk about Maverick. Um, But yeah, it's that last act where I feel like it's impressive, but I don't know what the hell is going on, where anyone is in relation to each other. And it's just, you know, it's it's cool, but Tony Scott has made much better movies, Days of Thunder being one of them. (laughs) Yeah. Shahir? Well, for me, it, and then we move the polar spectrum uh, a little bit further. Crimson Tide was the movie for me that, that I grew up with and watched <laughs> over and over again. And I, and I recently rewatched uh, Crimson Tide recently. And I, was, you know, I don't think it's, it's controversial to say that Crimson Tide is a far superior movie to Top Gun in, in almost every single way. Um, but uh, uh, I, I do have a sort of a, a, a deep impression or, you know, Tony Scott made a deep impression on a number of filmmakers that we have all grown up with, most notably Michael Bay. Um, but, you know, Tony Scott is, uh, 
Uh, a figurehead, obviously the younger brother of Ridley Scott, who recently, you know, like I think 10 years ago, or maybe a little bit longer than that, uh, passed away tragically. Um, and, um, you know, I think spearheaded this idea that the the transition from what a commercial director can make could be, tra- could be applied to feature filmmaking. And there's no better example of that then probably the first five minutes of Top Gun, uh, which is that sort of like um, the scene aboard the, the, the jet carrier, which has no narrative purpose other than to say, look at these, shi- look at these jet planes flying off the ship. Isn't that cool? And my, my biggest takeaway there was um, graduated lens filters for the win. Like graduated yep. lens filters through there was like amazing. And, I, and it was incredible that, it, you know, before we jump into the Top Gun Maverick, how much of a a recurring theme that was and how much of Scott's aesthetic uh, came back. Um, but, uh, you know, like I said, I watched Top Gun and Hot Shots uh, side by side just, you know, in one night to 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 both uh, re-immerse myself in the the moment that Top Gun seems to capture, which, which is, so, there's so many here, uh, not least of which the incredible aerial photography, Tony Scott's like pretty savvy understanding of music and um, you know the 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 language of commercial filmmaking um, you know brought to brought to play in in ultimately what is a kind of a fairly thin um, you know um, fairly thin story done for the purposes of just showing jet airplanes in cool action you know like the arguments of uh, about top gun and its role in military propaganda is pretty uh, pretty well documented at this point um but you know there's no denying a the power of young tom cruise coming into his own as a movie star through that film um the the both the 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 well-oiled volleyball sequences and the um and just that the smile, uh, the the Tom Cruise smile is like, if you could if you could um, encapsulate movie stardom in one facial feature, like it is the it is the Tom Cruise smile uh, that is worth every every cent that that is paid for uh, up on screen. So I really love that. But but I will say, um, Hot Shots. I actually like oddly, while Hot Shots is a parody of Top Gun in every way. It also has more depth of character than than <laughs> than Top Gun does. Um, I actually found like the the Topper Harley story in uh, Top Gun and his like past trauma was like oddly more like when I say you Top mean in Gun, Hot Shots uh, in Hot Shots, yeah. When I say Hot uh, Top Gun is is wafer thin, it is wafer thin to the point where its parody has more depth to it than than the actual original film. Um, so I was, you know, like I was, uh, I think I was as a film unto itself, I'm, I'm sort of like very mixed on it, but I, I, I certainly appreciate how, how, how at the center of so many interesting things that happened in the eighties, that film is actually sitting upon, you know, not least of which Tony Scott's aesthetic, Tom Cruise's superstardom, the, the sort of rise of, um, militaristic, um, hardware in films that are being showcased in, a, in, in such a way. Um, theme songs the uh, the the use of music it's it is simultaneously awful in in top gun like the way music is used in that movie is awful but at the same time you go man these are huge like needle drops in this movie that you can you understand like transcended no matter how awful i think they are they are enormous and like like you know like perpetuated themselves through culture 
in ways that like none of my critical analysis could do justice to because I like I said I think they're awful but at the same time there's no denying the power of King Loggins in Top Gun to that point I I was expecting based on precedent uh, that the new Lady Gaga song was going to be played at least four times, mm. but it was not. It was uh, not because oh, because that's that is a whole thing for me, guys. That that's the one thing I'm going to harp on with Maverick. Right, but again, right, I don't well, I don't want to get to it. I don't want to get to yeah, it. Yeah, just we'll, yet, get but. we'll get there. We'll get there. Tell us about Maverick, though. Oh, I will. I will tell you about the sequel. Some, I, what is it? Thirty something. Oh, what do you got, Matt? I just wanted to interject because you did you did mention the, the the themes thing, and I just wanted to point out that uh, Harold Faltermeyer, who did the main theme for Top Gun, also is the author of the Beverly Hills Cop theme. So this oh, guy nice. is guys aces. The, the, I don't know what the instrument is in the Top Gun theme, but it, it because it, it repeats itself as a motif. And Lauren Balf does the score for Maverick, I believe. Um, but there's that like. It's a. It, it almost has like a sort of echoey gong, like a like a some sort of percussive drum, the dong, mm-hmm. you know, like that plays. Yeah. And it's like I was like, man, that's so iconic. That single note, um, yeah, it's so good. <laughs> um, by the way, the the music for Maverick, uh, Lauren Balf produced the score, but the score is credited as Harold Faltermeyer, Lady Gaga, and Hans Zimmer. So and Hans Zimmer, okay, a lot of cooks sense. in that kitchen, but yeah, yeah. They made it happen. Yeah. Um, Well, anyway, IMDb says that this 36-year young sequel uh, is as follows. After more than 30 years of service as one of the Navy's top aviators, Pete Mitchell is where he belongs, pushing the envelope as a courageous test pilot and dodging the advancement in rank that would ground him. Dodging the advancement in rank? Wait, I feel like there's a couple of negatives in here that aren't working. No, dodging no, the I, advancements is he dodging the advancements in rank? Yeah, oh, I guess well, he is. Well, but that would would that ground him if he was dodging those advancements because he's using it no, to like no, no, no. The, to the, fly the, the planes. It's at the advancement TV? in ranks that would ground him. Instead, he chooses to not advance in rank, right. and therefore he would he would still get to fly. If right. he's still captain, he can fly. Right? Is that the yeah thing? yeah because yeah because there's that whole line with Ed Harris where he's like, you could be an admiral by by now, but he's like, well, but I wouldn't be flying. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and everyone knows that Maverick is the best at flying. He is yeah. the best around. Listen, okay. <laughs> Nothing's ever going to keep him down. Has, has Tom Cruise ever played a character where he's not the best at something? <laughs> That's a great question. Um, I don't had, know. Hmm. Let me, let me pull up the we'll Tom go, Cruise We can circle, we can circle right back to that. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. Um, this, hey, this he's, mo- he's well. At least he starts Edge of Tomorrow as very bad at everything. Right, and then, but that's because isn't that isn't that? Well, his arc is becoming the best. Right. At sure. the end of the movie, he's he's the best. He's even better than the best. Is, you could argue is there a Tom Cruise. Is there a Tom Cruise film <laughs> where Tom Cruise is not at one point the best? You could argue in Valkyrie, he is not the best at killing Hitler. Because he true. doesn't get the job done. <laughs> he does not get the job done. <laughs> but it is... is I, I won't even go down this rabbit hole. <laughs> a couple ways we can twist that. Um, I guess first first thoughts. I, I guess, guess Matt B, it goes to you. What did you think initially uh, walking out of this theater, uh, hopefully once the film was over? <laughs> <sighs> I mean, I felt amazing. I felt like I had just witnessed a cultural event, something, something that will be a touchstone for cinema moving forward, something that everyone's going to love. 
you know, it, it was like, it was the same feeling I had walking out of Avatar or walking out of the first Avengers or walking out of Titanic. Oh my God, this is just James Cameron movies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Apart from Avengers. Yeah. Apart from, from James Avengers. James Cameron's but, Avengers. But, but, just, but just like one of those like singular or, or like Ghost Protocol, okay? Like walking out of a movie that I felt like this is, I'm never going to see something like this. I have never seen anything like this before and it truly was an incredible experience. We, I, I saw it um, at the Lincoln Square IMAX in New York and I saw it at that 7 p.m. show and two of the actors actually showed up to introduce the movie. Right. Um, Glenn Powell and Danny Ramirez were there and they were oh, like, nice. sorry, sorry, we're not Tom Cruise. And everyone else is like, yeah, we are too. But, uh, <laughs> but, uh, no, it was cool. I, I just, oh man, I, I, I loved it. And, and, you know, we, we just talked about the original Top Gun, everything that I didn't like about Top Gun, I felt was improved. And then some in Maverick, except for one thing, which is the sex scene, but we'll get to that. Okay. <laughs> okay. 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 Five stars. Five stars. Five stars. Five oh, stars. Lord of the Rings. That's another one. Okay. When you, what, first time I saw Lord of James the Rings. James Cameron's Lord of the Rings, of course. James Cameron's, James Cameron's Lord, Lord, Lord of the Rings. Yes, James Cameron's Lord of the Rings. I just got. I got to tell you this one story, which is that I went to a a, a cast and crew screening of Avatar in New Zealand, and um, the film cut to black right after the credits rolled. That said. Directed, written and directed by James Cameron. Then it cut to black and everyone was like, get out of the theater. And this was the people that had spent like the last five years of their life working on the movie. And so like, there was just this moment where it was like, oh, okay, we're not gonna, you know, like nobody's gonna get to see their name up on screen. It's just a James Cameron movie uh, at any rate. Oh, <laughs> that, was a, that, was a, that was a moment. Um, for me, <laughs> um, Top Gun Maverick, I think um, obviously plays into the idea that Matt Singer over at Screen Crush co- uh, coined, which was the legacy quell, which we talked about in our Matrix Resurrections review. The, the sequel, which draws upon the uh, implications of the predecessor and uh, navigates the idea that, um, that we are reckoning with the past. And, and, and in many ways, the, the sequel is in one part a reclamation of what the original was, as well as a, uh, a signal that the, that the sequel can continue on. So films like uh, Blade Runner 2049 uh, or 2048, whatever the year was. Um, 2049. And- 2049 and Creed, uh, the you know, and Star Wars: The Force Awakens. Again, film that is reckoning with the with the nostalgia for the past, but uh, trying to uh, signal a way forward while holding on to the things that made it uh, near and dear to our heart. And this is and and Top Gun itself is not a movie that I again I particularly love, but I can kind of see why people hold on to it as a moment. Um, but I also think it's a, it's one of those movies that like maybe not a lot of people remember very well uh, because it, outside of the moments, as I say, it's pretty thin. Um, I think, again, Tom Cruise has demonstrated in the last 10 to 15 years that what matters to him as a cinematic experience is akin to what Buster Keaton uh, and Charlie Chaplin uh, thought about the, the physical prowess of cinema, which was to defy death and to to <laughs> perform for us uh, upon which the the idea that death is near around the corner and look how much we are willing to put ourselves at risk uh, for your enjoyment. Um, that is, and, and that is very much the antithesis of what has been happening in blockbuster cinema, which has leaned more towards CGI uh, and more towards um, visual effects, which in many ways, uh, again, signals to us the safety with which movies are made. And Tom Cruise has been walking in the exact opposite direction and saying, what if movies felt dangerous to make? Um, and on those terms, 
Top Gun Maverick is an absolute success. It, you know, the, 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 the structural idea at the heart of this movie, again, uh, collaborating with Christopher McQuarrie, who has been his go-to guy for the last 10 to 15 years, um, is really genius, which is that there is this one mission and here are the parameters of, which, of, of how it has to work. And we are going to see how it has to work over and over and over again. And we're going to see it in simulation form. We're going to see it in test runs. We're going to see someone try to defy it and make it work. And then we're actually going to have to see it in action. And what's great about that experience is as an audience, we are so primed and on the edge of our seat with every turn that they are making by the time they actually get to that run. Um, it's, it, it is really a masterclass in, in structural writing. Um, I will say before that third act, the, you know, as you kind of alluded to the, the, the erotic interplay between Tom Cruise and (laughs) Jennifer Connelly hearkened back to the sort of silly nostalgia of the original. Um, and, and where the film kind of falters for me is this repeated idea as Matt, as you've kind of, uh, as Matt, uh, um, Kay has kind of um, suggested, which is that Tom Cruise's um, the 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 personality idea of Tom Cruise in most of these movies, which is that he is the best and and um, uh, rules and order be damned because what he needs to do, you know, be, get out of his way because he, uh, despite the rules, he will he will make it work and he will succeed because he cares more about everything and succeeding on his own terms than than the mission than the mission protocols would suggest. Um, and, and I think that stuff, you know, kind of was a little bit long in the tooth, but that third act, man, that, that third act, you you cannot fault that third act for, for delivering upon the promise of the first two acts, uh, in beautiful fashion. So it's a mixed one for me, which is that I think there's a lot that doesn't work about this movie, but there's so much that works about that third act that, uh, that will send you out of the theater in such a high um, that it makes it, you know, makes it's moot to kind of discuss that first two thirds, even though we will. <laughs> oh, uh, we my, will. Yeah. <laughs> my, my friend, John Marbley, who I saw it with, uh, said it best. This movie pays off hard. Yeah. And it, it, yeah. it really does. Yeah. Well, for my initial thing, I mean, I, you know, the, there are some hot summer nights going on. I didn't know. My destination was totally unknown when I walked into this thing. But I do have to say it did take my breath away once the heaven hit my eyes. I went through the fire, boys. And then <laughs> it led me on to just be on mighty wings through the danger zone. Uh, and I, now I get to just be playing with the boys. I think that's kind of my entire thing um, about this film. No. Um, <laughs> the... the <laughs> were those the, just, um, were those just, is that, did you just read the soundtrack list? I just the pulled up the soundtrack of the original one and I tried to, in real time, give a review using only the songs from the original one. And I think well, I did okay. Well done. I'm, I applaud. Um, I applaud your efforts. Oh, Successful you. or not. Uh, I've now reset my brain and I'm back. Um, fuck this movie slaps. Um, the, again, I, I went in not expecting a lot. Obviously, and we're going to talk about the technical the technical aspect of how this was shot, and we're gonna, I, I would like to particularly talk a lot about sort of the marketing of this movie too, because I mm. think it's kind of a masterclass at what you show and what you tell and what you don't. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I, I just it, it is to your point here, like just pure spectacle. That's the way that Tom Cruise has kind of gone. I actually really liked the first two thirds as well. Hmm. I, don't get me wrong, I love you know this movie paid off to your friend's point, Matt, but the um, the way I 
I am a fan of the slow fucking burn. And again, I love Marvel movies. I love the situ like the 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 formulaic sort of thing where there's a big thing in the first act and it does a thing and you have to go on little adventures and there's small spikes and like whatever. This I mean, I don't consider the first, like, test flight thing, like, I was like, okay, whatever, like, cool. He goes on a test flight, and he pushes it even harder than he should, and, like, <laughs> cool, 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 whatever. But, like, I really, really, really liked the slow, meandering pace this thing took, training these cadets. Even I liked the Jennifer Connelly plot. I liked the Penny plot. Really? I, fuck, fuck you, Shahir. Really? This is, no, no I'm, was, I'm, I'm with other Matt on this one. I... I, I, I it's mostly because it was... Jennifer Connelly is just so goddamn beautiful and so likable. Really? Uh, she's just so endearing. But this is too super. Look, I'm not saying their characters are like deep or like destined to be. It's, this, is, this isn't some grand like uh, romantic tale. <laughs> it's two super attractive, age appropriate people. Uh, <laughs> also uh, vampires. Also, also, <laughs> also vampires. The, the fucking undead. Yeah. Um, you know, jiving with each other when they came back to their local bar. Like it's fucking cool uh, now again there, we'll, we'll get to the sex scene or whatever and that's ridiculous but the um I, i'll get to one point I, I honestly there's one point in this movie with that subplot with that b plot that hit me harder than any other part of this entire film hmm. um and I'll, I'll get to it um the one if I, if I had to sort of say some things i didn't like about it and i will uh i really if you're going to do military propaganda, either go the whole way or stop pussyfooting around. <laughs> and by that, I mean, I was really taken aback. Like, the third act, while vis visually, mm. incredibly visceral, didn't really mean anything to me because they never say who or why they are doing what to the place. Like, we don't know what country it is. It's in some vague, snowy country that then the planes are all black. They look like uh, uh, TIE fighter pilots with no insignias on them. And their first is America. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, like, you can't even, like, I, I get annoyed. If you're going to posture like that, you should say something with it. Or, or like, like it, it because they did that. It almost felt like the movie itself was a little bit ashamed of its ties, which maybe it should be, depending on where your 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 political leanings lie. But like, it just felt a little, a little, um, uh, not real. Like for all of the reality, <laughs> uh, for all of the reality that this movie tries to show you with all the planes fighting, the conflict of it in and of itself felt incredibly hollow and false oh yeah um <laughs> but but i think um purposely like i know i'm saying it like i'm saying it, it for purpose. me and i'm not even saying i'm not even saying like yeah make it russia make it north korea make yeah. it like whatever because i don't think that's a good thing either it's it's the it's the lack of committal of like naming your adversary because it's basically putting the united states as always good and whoever the fuck we want is bad yeah. and it's like that's a little weird. Oh yeah, and it, it and it rubbed me it rubbed me the wrong way ever so slightly. Um, but other than that, and um, uh, I, I, I had a really good time with this fucking movie. I walked out quite quite uh, quite smiley. I I just I know I know I'm gonna be on the other side of this one. But I would say to that direct point that you just made, I liked that about this movie because I felt that it's the first time where I saw a movie that is very military based, that it didn't have to come with any baggage 
in terms mm. of who it's naming as the bad guy. We knew oh, it but the, it does, we, because it's American fighter jets. I, I, okay, 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 yeah. okay, okay. To quote Joe Pesci, okay, 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 okay. okay. No, but, but, I mean, in the first one, they name it. They're, they're Russian MiGs, so we know that the Russians are the bad guys. Right. And, you know, in this one, we know that whoever it is, they're making nukes. Nukes, bad. Uranium, bad. We got that. And I feel like that, yes, okay, so Well, our, nukes, our bad human, when the United States doesn't have nukes. But we, like that's did, the, but didn't we stop making them? Maybe I'm, maybe now I'm, maybe I'm being naive here. Maybe I'm being naive. But Regardless. I feel I feel like in the world of cinema and in the world of most idiots like myself, nukes bad no matter who makes them. And the hope is that, and the understanding is that our superpowers are not making any more, but they certainly have. They're they're obsessed with who has more than the other. I don't know. I don't I want to get you, into you this topic. You must be a big fan of uh, Superman 4, Quest for Peace, when they like No, uh, I am not. <laughs> I am not. I am not. Yeah. But, but I, 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 I'll say that Superman was admirable in his efforts in that film. Until he came up against Nuclear Man. Until he came up against Nuclear Man with for his very, very long agree. fingernails. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but right. no, I, I, I liked it because what I was able to, to focus on more than anything else was the mission itself was the adversary and it was less important who the bad guys were and more important, can we get these jets to do the thing we need them to do in the conditions we have because most people can't do this. Planes cannot make this kind of a maneuver. Right. Um, and, and that, that I, like, I like that the focus was on whether or not it could be pulled off and less on who the bad guys are and why we have to stop them. I like that the focus was on that. I just thought it was an it was an odd uh, neck snapping choice for me, particularly to have it be so uh, to be so coy on one side of it. Mm. It felt it felt it felt like I mean, like a weird part of military propaganda that I didn't know would annoy me. But like, but, but I I think the issue here is that this is um, a calculated move in order to basically create the rah-rah audience of America to be like, hey, there's an enemy and we're, we have the most oh, military might. Disagree. I think it's a rah-rah move. But but also we want this to play in China yeah. and Russia and every other country yep. on the planet mm -hmm. because it's like, we we know that what sells over there is the military might as long as they're not the enemy. Like you only have to look at the, yep. the, the remake of uh, Red Dawn, the Chris Hemsworth film, where they had to switch from China to North Korea because of fear of uh, erasing the, the Chinese marketplace for this movie. And this movie with its black out uh, fighter enemy combatants uh, who have no personality whatsoever despite how you know again if you think about how many people may have died on that battle to the, on the, on that uh, airport tarmac you know um, we don't have to think about it too much because the movie doesn't invite us to think too much the movie is is simplistic in its in its uh, geopolitics very purposely so because that is not what the movie wants you to think about at all what it wants you to think about is the difficulty with which uh, these American fighter jets are going to have to maneuver in order to eradicate the world from a nuclear threat. And that, is, and, and that nuclear threat has no personality. It has no identity. It has no reasoning other than nuclear bad. Uh, then we, what, re yeah. what responsible filmmaking? What responsible <laughs> filmmaking that is. But I mean, what, you know, what responsible the to the shareholders filmmaking we have, right? Yeah. I mean, that is the same with the original Top Gun, which is arguably a product of the Reagan era, um, you know, sure. in terms of it's like, it's, it's Cold War, proper, you know, like, Propaganda with the, against the Russians at that point, which could just be mm. generic bad guy for anything. Um, only thing I would want to say though is is, and I think this is one of the 
my favorite things about the movie is you, you talk about a lot about like the, the, the military might, you know, <laughs> in this movie, America, we have the best planes and everything like that. But in the situation that they're up against, we don't. And I think mm-hmm. that's one of the that's one of the great single shots in the whole movie that pays off what we've been told the whole time, mm. which is your jets are good, mm. but the enemy has better jets. Our technology is not as good as them. These other jets can do things that ours can't. So you guys just have to fly, you know, adapt. under the radar and adapt and whatnot. And then when we finally do get to that dogfight at the end with the the better mm. jet, that one shot where it does that maneuver where it like stops mm. midair and then flips and rolls all the way to the back of the line and then comes back after them again. Man, that's all I needed. I get it. That jet, whatever they just did, I know your jets a, can't do that. That's fantastic. It's, yeah, it's a fifth generation. When you're a jet, you're a jet all the way. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but but then, you know, what I love there as well is that what, what wins out isn't technology. It's American um, uh, ingenuity and deter- uh, grit and determination, right? Like that is that is the the full even in the while using a, a an F one fourteen Tomcat, which is thirty years old, uh, in, yeah. in its heyday, will 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 out out maneuver, out weaponize, and out um, outperform a fifth generation whatever well, country jet. This I mean, is. That, well, not and not, that not, not being exactly. saved by Hangman, but we'll get yeah, to that. Yeah, we got a little. Uh, there's there's a little Deus Ex Machina in there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I'm not going to fault the film for that. Let's <laughs> yeah. roll. No, no, no. That um, what, a, what a moment. But but I think in terms of this this idea of the legacy quell, um, you know, I think what's interesting here is 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 the movie is attempting to reckon with the past that that I think has become um, a, a running theme throughout uh, Tom Cruise's movies, which is that he is getting older. I see what you do there. Running theme. Running, Tom Cruise. Running movies. Tom Cruise. <laughs> oh, was, uh, uh, Mark uh, Hoffmeyer of uh, Movies, Flicks, and Films has done an analysis of like uh, box office receipts in correlation with how much Tom Cruise runs uh, in his movies. And <laughs> it's always the case. Did the you, more he runs, the more money those movies make. Um, did you did did you guys experience as I did when the Karate Chop run finally happened in Maverick? The whole audience cheered. The Karate Chop run. The way he, this his, oh, the Tom oh, Cruise yeah, Karate yeah, Chop the Tom run. Cruise run. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, well, again, look, we have to. I mean, we we have. They to... did. They did cheer louder for Nicole Kidman. Oh, right. uh, yeah, for yeah. The, Nicole, Nicole Kidman AMC, AMC uh, Heartbreak feels <laughs> yeah. good in a place like this. They did oh, cheer louder for that. So <laughs> I thankfully didn't have to see that. Thank God. I've seen that too much in the last six months. I've only seen it a couple of times, so I'm I'm impressed by it um, at this stage. Also, in a in a Tom Cruise movie, I, I like that yeah. uh, that she's talking about this is where the magic is made, and then we cut to Tom Cruise. Um, uh, I think there, you know, we have to acknowledge the fact that Tom Cruise is 59 years old and he is older than when Tom Skerritt essentially played the same role in the original Top Gun. He was 53 years old at that time. And Tom Cruise has, you know, whatever he is doing in his skin regimen and his fitness routine uh, is working uh, because he looks great. He, you know, he, he holds his own uh, in a shirtless oil scene, which has now been updated from volleyball to football. Um, and... Uh, you know, again, I think there is this running, running motif in um, in in many of the Tom Cruise movies now, um, particularly with the Mission Impossible series, which is that he is getting older, but he is still able to hold his own. And there is sort of interesting little nods to that. And I, uh, Patrick Willems on Twitter this week asked that question about like, what is Tom Cruise going to do at the end of the sort of at the end of the uh, Mission Impossible franchise? Because the obviously the thing that he has proven uh, over the last 
30 plus years of uh, mega stardom uh, is that uh, he isn't going away. And, you know, there, there, like, there, there isn't a point where he will fade out. And um, I, I replied to Patrick uh, on Twitter, which is that um, Paul Thomas Anderson on the Mark Maron podcast talked a lot about what he thinks the late game uh, Tom Cruise career uh, will will look like. And, you know, he, he um, uh, suggested it would be akin to, to Paul Newman or Robert Redford, you know, the, the, the classy elder statesman who will probably slip into those um, really major performances um, as opposed to the action figure role, which he's still currently playing. Um, but, you know, we just got to remember that there was this period in the early 90s uh, or in the late 90s and early noughts where Tom Cruise was really picking directors to challenge him and to to do roles that fought against his type, you know, probably starting with Kubrick and Eyes Wide Shut, um, going all the way through to Spielberg and War of the Worlds, uh, PTA and Magnolia, um, Michael Mann and Collateral. I think, I think Michael Mann and, um, and... And what's interesting, I guess, maybe in all of those examples is that those directors and those films really interrogate and punish the Tom Cruise persona as we know it. You know, like... In Eyes Wide Such, in Eyes Wide Shut, they desexualize him uh, and, and you know um, play him that way. In War of the Worlds, he is ineffectual in his ability to like try and combat an unstoppable force. In um, Magnolia, he is again this sort of predatory sexual uh, sexualized being who has this like haunted past. And in Collateral, he is this again precise killer who is undone by a, like a an average person. Um, you know, and, and I think. There's this interesting thing that's happened in Tom Cruise's work. And, and again, you have to point to uh, his collaborations with Christopher McQuarrie, which is that he is leaning away from that kind of interrogation of his star persona and his star, you know, his like action, uh, action leading role um, and, and just running with it. You know, like I think Ethan Hunt, the, the, the thing that's challenging here is that it's hard to make a physical, a, a physical, emotional, ideological distinction between Ethan Hunt, between Maverick, between Jack Reacher. You know, these are all the same person ostensibly, but just very slight variations thereof. Um, and it would be interesting, I guess, to maybe pair the sort of giant blockbusters that he is capable of doing with a film that interrogates that somewhat and and plays with that a little bit. I think you know maybe the last two interesting things we've gotten close to are his work with Doug Lyman in Age of Tomorrow and an American Maid, where they've really like, you know, they've, they've used, Doug Lyman has really used this smile kind of against him. And, you know, like, you know, and I think that's where we get really interesting Tom Cruise movies right now. I, I think the spectacle is really great. I think the, the, the box office clout is un you know, th there's nothing left to prove here. You know, like he is, he, <laughs> well, he is, after, he after is the, the king. Mummy, well, after the mummy, there was a little bit to prove. Yeah, well, but, of yeah. course. And he has had box office failings in the, in the last few years, but they, they quickly are dissipated uh, under the wake of the next Mission Impossible oh, movie or whatever comes mm -hmm. next, you know? Um, yeah, well, I mean, in, in terms of uh, there still being things left to prove, I mean, look, Top Gun just opened not only breaking the Memorial Day record, right. uh, but also it's the largest opening of his entire career, which if you think it's about madness. it, seems nuts. That yeah. seems crazy because he's like the biggest star in the world. Yeah. But yeah, yeah I guess his highest grossing movie before this was War of the Worlds, World, wasn't it? I think. Yeah. World and World. then after that, it was Fallout, which is like, okay, you know, <laughs> he's, he's, he's like the Brad Pitt where it's like, you think he's this huge star, which he is. But then when you look at his, his like box office, it's like, oh, they're, they're, they're of course, fine. Duds in here. Here. They're okay. Here's yeah. the thing. Here's the thing. Let's, we, 
I am guilty of this along with with everybody here. Um, Not me. I don't know what you're talking about. Well, we we do as a movie-going culture, since the blockbuster has happened, we weigh, at least partially, either clout or value or whatever of a film based on its box office. We use it as a shorthand. We use it as Mm -hmm. sort of, is this movie successful or not? I think, to be perfectly honest, with those metrics that you just said, Matt, Tom Cruise is an argument to say that there are different fucking metrics for stuff. Oh, yeah. Like, like, and, and not just stuff that, like, film buffs and people who want to talk about the way movies are made or, like, different sort of smaller elements of it that aren't sort of front-page news can actually do it. Tom Cruise has had his biggest box office opening ever, and that is insane, as we've all just said. But Tom Cruise has been a household name for 30 years, but his yeah. movies haven't grossed nearly as much as, say, I don't know, the fucking... Uh, Robert Downey Jr. Yeah, right. <laughs> so like, there, there you go. Like, it's just a, it's it's a strange thing that I'd like to kind of try to di- uh, divorce myself of. Is this sort of like this? We we've done this, or actually, I should say that the um, no, I'll, I'll, I'll roll myself into this. Um, the the uh, movie going discussion group of of internet personalities that discuss film. That's always sort of a talking point. And it's not one we should stop doing. It's just something that I, I'm finding less and less solace or value in. Um, mm-hmm. And it was really kind of nice to sort of be reminded of that with, like, the culmination of two or three facts that you just sort of said. Like, there is, there is a different way to win this game, and Tom Cruise has been doing it for quite some time. Yeah. I mean, th- there was a stretch there where he had every single movie made at least $100 million. Even, right. even, even a bomb, by some asshole standards, Vanilla Sky was not successful, even though it made $100 million. Yeah. And it's just, you know, a goofy romantic drama with, with some sci-fi stuff thrown in it. Yeah. Um, so his, his, I guess his success is his consistency. I mean, uh, and to, to quantify it just a little bit, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, for example, has made a worldwide box office gross of around 26, uh, $26.5 billion across 28 movies. And Tom Cruise himself has done uh, $10.9 billion worldwide mm-hmm. on his own and without the sort of IP that, that, uh, that stretches that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, yeah. again, like you mentioned, uh, his biggest box office hits were War of the Worlds, Fallout. Oddly, uh, Mission Impossible Two uh, is is the high yeah. is, the, is the next highest yeah. grossing Mission Impossible film because it is the worst one. Um, and then Austin Powers and Goldmember, <laughs> uh, where his little cameo appearance uh, was one of the how ones many movies, how many movies has Tom Cruise been in? Has he been in more movies than the Marvel Cinematic Universe has had? Uh, I believe so. Yes. Okay. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Cool. 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 <laughs> but um, it, there, there was there there was a thing you said Shahir, that I I wanted to, to to bring up. You were talking about like. The fact that he was challenging himself mm. um, in like the late '90s, and always, you know, he always like th- basically throughout his career, always wanted to work with like the best directors. There was a cool article on Deadline the week that Top Gun came out, where they did like brief interviews with some of the the directors that he's worked with over his career. Mm-hmm. Um, and the first one they talk about, obviously, is Joseph Kaczynski because Top yeah. Gun was coming out, and he talked about the fact that. Um, he found it fascinating that every morning before they would shoot, he'd have like a half hour, 45 minute sit down with all the younger actors to mm-hmm. sort of just do like a He's the elder Q&A. statesman, right? He's yeah, the let me statesman. be the elder yeah. statesman. Let me give you guys advice in your careers. Yeah. And he, he had talked to Glenn Powell and, and asked like, you know, what kind of career do you want? And Glenn Powell, I said, I want to have your career. <laughs> and Tom said, 
well, how do you think I did that? And Glenn said, well, you pick great roles. And Tom said, no, that's not how I did it. I did it by choosing great films. Then I took the roles and made them the best that I could. Hmm. And I think that's a fascinating way to look at it because, yeah, okay, some of his movies are clunkers. But for the most part, he has picked some great directors to work with. He's been in some quintessential cinematic feats, whether they be box office you know, feats or you know, Eyes Wide Shut or something like that. Um, and that, I think, has, has certainly given him the name that he's, he's, he's gotten, which is like a consistently good performer. I, I think there's also just a quality to it, which is that um, he's very aware. I, I don't know if he's aware or he's been very lucky in the choices that he has made in terms of the, 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 the roles that he's taken really tap into what his, what his star persona is. You know, like we mm-hmm. say, he's always the best at something. He is always striving for. He breaks the rules. He's 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 the the person who 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 can see every angle and makes fundamentally quick decisions that saves the day, despite what the rules might say. He is, you know, that 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 is what his persona is, and that is how his his star persona works. And I think he's picked roles that really tap into that really, really smartly. Now, again, like I said, there was this early period in the noughts, um, even if you, if you go back to, and you could maybe attribute this to the sort of, um, uh, the thing that every leading man goes through, which is uh, hunting the Oscar, you know, like every leading man, <laughs> you know, goes for those roles that, you know, is hunting the Oscar. Mm-hmm. Um, Almost baiting it out, if you will. <laughs> and, you know, you could, you could argue, but then, but then to work with Kubrick on Eyes Wide Shut, and again, Kubrick really weaponizes um, Cruz's smile and his public relationship with Nicole Kidman against him in that movie. And in re- really, you know, like it almost cuckolds him into in that role um, purposely to kind of like subvert what our expectations of the Tom Cruise persona is. And then, you know, like he meets PTA on the set of that movie um, where, you know, after you watch Boogie Nights and says, hey, look, you know, and PTA kind of says, I have this role that I think you might be really interested in where the first line is tame the C word. Um, and, and, you know, Cruz like leaps into that role. Like he doesn't like, like, and, and what I love about that role, Frank TJ Mackey in Magnolia, it is a complete dissection of the Tom Cruise persona. It is like the aggressive morphing of his persona into something that is predatory and nasty and gross. And, but he does it in a way that like, like he, like he holds nothing back in that role. And it's, it is amazing to watch because what I like about that is that that makes me go, man, Tom Cruise is at the same time aware of his star persona and aware of how to like fuck with it. And, and like, you know, like, the moments when he really fucks with it is the moments that I'm like, you know, like, again, are those moments of greatness? Um, and, and they transcend, you know, like, arguably, I don't think uh, Magnolia is like a huge hit. It, it, he, he got an Oscar nomination for it, but it wasn't his first. I think he got nominated for Born on the Fourth of July um, yeah, yeah. prior to that with Oliver Stone. Again, missing with his star persona. Um, but, you know, I think maybe maybe if we're bringing this, we've sort of talked about Tom Cruise for a while, but bringing it back to what what is is unique about Top Gun is that there is this repetition of the performances that he's been giving lately as he's moved closer, you know, as he's, as he's empire building with both Mission Impossible, Jack Reacher and, uh, and Top Gun, you know, like it is, the, it is the thing that like Jack a lot Reacher? of, uh, yeah, he did yeah, Jack, Jack Reacher. 
two Jack Reacher yeah, but, movies. Uh, yeah, but nobody saw the second one. I mean, it I was did. arguably it's, it's, is what got Christopher. It, 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 it like fused the Christopher sure. McQuarrie and Tom yeah, Cruise yeah. Uh, collaboration. Well, the, um, first Jack Reacher, great. Second tra- Jack Reacher, trash. Yeah, he was uh, in two Jack Reacher movies. He was in two yeah, Jack yeah. Reacher movies. I hey, mean, J- Jack look. Reacher was was the next attempt at another franchise that he was building um, hmm. that didn't quite play out. Um, but you know, again, the Jack Reacher role is ostensibly a variation of the Ethan Hunt role, which is ostensibly a variation of the Maverick role. You know, like these are, these are the similar types of roles that he's performing across, you know, and I, I would argue it's the empire building stage of, of Jack, uh, of, of Tom Cruise's career. Don't get me wrong. I like it. I, I think, I think, you know, more than most actors, he, he commands, um, he, he has that thing, which is that. Uh, I think he would be terrifying in real life. Um, yep. Oh yeah, man! I, like like I mean, Josh Horowitz, who was on our show recently, uh, hosted the Top Gun premiere in um, uh, in Florida. I think it was or Miami. I, I'm not sure exactly where it was. And so he and Tom Cruise have talked a number of times, uh, which, by the way, makes us one degree from Tom Cruise. Just FYI. Um, but, <laughs> um, but but. Um, uh, there's this there's this moment where uh, you know and look I love Josh Horowitz and and uh, it, it's this moment where Tom Cruise says really great to see you Josh really great and I was like oh my god I am terrible like he's leaning over to like shake his hand and I was like I would be petrified in this moment because like that is not the handshake of a man that you should turn your back on <laughs> like it was just like yeah. a terrifying moment but you know I think um, uh, he then converts that kind of like arguably this sort of like almost mechanical uh robotic sort of uh i will do anything it takes to to win kind of attitude and makes it charming like he is charming on screen right like he's arguably the the, one of the most charming actors to ever grace the screen in the 21st century i mean the dudes come back from a lot Mm. rightfully so or not Mm. i mean the the oprah on the couch thing Mm. Uh, then the entirety of the Scientology thing. I mean, how did he ever play someone as crazy as in Magnolia? Wow, I don't quite know how that was ever possible. Uh, he learned it from the best. Uh, shout out to LRH. Um, but the 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 way that like he he he, you're right. It's it's he. You know what he is? He's a, he's like a Cthulian like demigod. Hmm. He he's. He's power and 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 uh, charisma and and I think with your point, Shahir, like an embodiment of fear. And we are all kind of like, yes, we must watch this. Being. <laughs> we must watch it. Like, <laughs> like, like it's see it's, Tom it's, run. We must see Tom run. <laughs> it is not. It is not always comfortable, but it is fucking enjoyable. And I think with like any good uh, eldritch horror, uh, that is those are some of the quintessential parts. I think I all, derailed. All I'm the, sorry, go ahead, man. No, I was, I was going to say all, all that 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 horror being said. Like, look, I'm sure I'm I'm sure he's a very intense person. But yeah. everything that I've ever read about him, you know, the, the the Deadline article, and then you know, decades of of hearing you know other actors talk about him and and filmmakers talking about him. Um, I've never met him personally, but it sounds like he's just the best to work with. Oh, of course, it seems, yeah, yeah. It seems That's like what it he's. Sounds he's like as well. yeah. 
It seems like he's always happy to be there. He's always super energized and, and excited to be there. And the fact that like, you know, you hear things that like he goes out of his way to like learn the PA's names and he says good, good morning to everybody. Yep. Yeah. The, th- the thing that Kaczynski talked about where he's like, he took time out of his day to help like mentor the younger actors. Like he may be a crazy person religiously, but honestly, that's none of my fucking business. <laughs> what, what, what matters to me is like the movies he makes and his work ethic. And Again, I haven't met him, but from what I've heard, I've tried to instill that into myself when I go and work right. and, and make movies and everything like that. Like, yeah, you know what? You're right. You should be nice to the PAs. Yeah. You should learn their names. And you they should have the shittiest you should, job on set. You should work the hardest you can because it is... Exactly. Like, that's the thing. I think there's a quality of them where it's like, you should work the hardest you can because it is a privilege to be here. Exactly. You know, like, I, I, I get that sense from him. Yeah. And a friend of mine actually did uh, direct him in um, a, a, for visual effects for a film uh, that was shot in New Zealand, The Last Samurai. Um, and, you know, he said, look, we... Pre- one, of, it, one of my absolute, hands-down, favorite movies of all time. The, the Edgewick film. I, I've only seen it the one time, and I... I was not the fan, but I, I saw it, again, saw it twice in theaters, <laughs> got the Blu-ray, got the DVD. I've seen it. So I love it. I love it so much. But, but, but what my friend's uh, recollection who worked with him said was like, look, the, you know, we prepped for weeks to have him on set for a day for what we were doing. And he turned up and he made it seem like, um, you know, and he was, and he was more prepped than we were for what we were doing <laughs> and like understood everything that was going on and made it run absolutely smooth. And he was just like easy to work with. And, you know, I think that's, again, for all these directors that, uh, you know, like have this um, sort of inverse relationship with the stars that they work with, you know, like, you know, they, they work with actors because they want to draw out of them something that inverts their public persona or, or does something with their public persona in interesting ways. I think they also then are um, in admiration as I would be of the fact that he works as hard on those inversions as he does on the star vehicles that he that he you know that he works on. Well, um, like, yeah, human yeah. beings. He's a good example of this. Human beings are not monoliths. We're having fun. We're saying he's a vampire. I called <laughs> him an eldritch horror. Like that's you know the 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 the, the you can as a multifaceted human being be hyper focused and caring and loving and, and generous and 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 sort of doing one thing in, in, in an aspect of your life and not or different or whatever in another like that is possible we all know this uh you know and it sucks too well i guess it i mean it all depends on what you're kind of going towards celebrity for when you're when you're looking at celebrities not not trying to attain a celebrity status yourself the the um uh, it, 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 it's when you are as large as Tom Cruise, it starts getting complicated. But it is always nice to hear all the things you know, Matt. How you, what you've heard about what we've heard our friends uh, Shahir uh, talk about with you working with him on set. Because there's no doubt that the man fucking loves movies mm-hmm. and respects mm-hmm. the goddamn process. Yeah. Yes. Um, and when but, he makes a movie, I know that I'm going to see something that everyone who worked on it put in 110. percent Whether the movie's fully good or not mm. they worked fucking hard yeah, to make yeah. it as good as possible well on that note except for maybe the mummy fuck that movie yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh but on that note let's um let's let's turn this off of the only podcast it's about, about tom, tom cruise, cruise and go back into <laughs> it, but it's hard it's really really it's really, really hard, it's really yeah. hard to divorce this film from the persona right like yeah. that, that there's so yeah. much of the movie is embedded but within the persona i would like to say that i really 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 actively enjoyed all of the other characters in this movie. <laughs> uh, I, I I did not expect to do that. 
I was like, they're going to throw a bunch of fucking cookie cutter nonsense at me and it's going to be the Tom Cruise show and I'm not going to give a shit. Man, I really, really liked all of the other pilots. I really liked Jennifer Connelly's Penny. I really liked uh, Hondo. I really liked they brought fucking Warlock back. Like, I, I, I don't know. I, I dug... I dug the actual uh, other characters. The the only the only problem that I saw, weirdly enough, did you guys notice? This isn't a problem. This was just a minor disappointment for me. Did you guys notice? Do you know who uh, uh, Manny Jacinto is? He was on the oh, Good yeah, Place. Yeah, yeah. He yeah, played yeah. Jason. He's, he's yeah. in one shot. I he's think. in one I, shot. I he plays. Once. He plays uh, a guy uh, call sign Fritz or Fitz uh, Fritz. And uh, I was I like was like he went by and I was like wait what? Why yeah. is I was like. I want, why isn't he in this more? Why is he only He's in so this good. first shot? Mm-hmm. Like, it was very, very strange. But that's, again, that's not the movies. I mean, that's just what it is. Um, yeah, I'm, sh- I'm sure he had more scenes that ended up getting cut. Yeah. That's, that's my guess. But, the movie's two hours and 11 minutes, which yeah. already is 10 minutes longer than perfect length. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> very true. Um, and I loved, I loved, God, the Val Kilmer scenes. We're getting into full-blown spoilers at this point. So like, good. I wasn't expecting that. I was expecting the portrait of the wall and the text messages, and I was going to be fine. And then, like, to to to, I would argue eloquently in in as eloquent as a Top Gun movie can be, uh, mix in some of the horrors that have happened to to Val Kilmer into into Iceman, and and like actually play it and give the character like a, a really beautiful send off. But did and, the character need to die? Like, I, there was something about that where I was like, okay, we're melding the fact that that Val Kilmer has this very public uh, affliction, you know, cancer, which he has been negotiating, not, not least of which made it, you know, recently a documentary about his entire career. Um, there was something about, like, him dying in the film where I was like, is that is that you know like what, it, what rubbed you the wrong way? Because well, I mean, from a plot perspective, it made total sense on why things happened when. But yeah, I, I mean. I, there was something about like using Val Kilmer's very public, actual, uh, you know, cancer, and then having him die in the movie. You know, like it, it felt like I, I don't know. There was something about that where I was like, oh. Well, I mean, it would. It, to be honest, I mean, and, and the it's, only person that can really answer the comfortability about this is Val Kilmer himself. Yeah. I'm sure. But I imagine. I'm, yeah. I imagine he's fine with it. I mean, to not have a character that you're playing die. If you're if you have cancer is kind of weird too. Like if that's the reason, do you know what I mean? Like it, 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 it makes sense. But he's not dead in real life, you know. Like no, I know he's not dead in real life. Well, but that's like saying that's like saying someone with a deadly form of cancer can't act a character that dies. No, like, I think what I'm saying is is that is that again we're using his real affliction and then no 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 they're and, writing around the real affliction. But they're 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 making sure that this character can be seen on screen. But then despite the, the eventual the outcome is that he dies on screen or he dies in the film. Sure, he's an which act, which I mean, sort of like again death, but... when we're melding his real life to the movie feels somewhat morbid. No no they're they're adapting I mean... a character to his real life condition. <laughs> well but well, sorry if, if he what 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 if, sorry if just. If he didn't have cancer and he was like an actor, you know, he was still kicking around and he played the John Hamm part, he wouldn't die in the movie, right? Like he would but just. But the point, I mean, I don't, unless you're going for this, Matt, are you going for the plot point here? What? You... Uh, the, yeah, yeah. I, what, what I was going to touch on is, is I feel like the reason why that's there is, is it's the sequel thing. You know, yeah. all, all it, it, to, to quote Robert Zemeckis, 
A sequel should be the same, but different. Or to talk about George Lucas when he was making the Star Wars movies, they rhyme, but they're different. Um, you know, the, 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 the first Top Gun has that incredibly famous moment in the middle of the movie where Goose dies. Everyone yeah. knows that Goose dies. Yeah. That's the thing that everyone, you know, latches onto from an emotional perspective in an otherwise very thin film, which you, you mentioned yourself, Shahir. And, you know, the death of Goose is a huge part of where this movie starts and where this movie's arc is going. Mm. Um, but I think Tom is the only character really from the first one to come back besides Iceman who's of any weight and value. Mm. So in order to have your main character be motivated emotionally outside of you know, the relationship with Rooster, which is fresh... Mm. Um, you have to have somebody that, you know, that last tie, that last thing Mm. that tied him back to that time in his life has to be taken away from him, not only to motivate him to, (laughs) to, to, you know, honor his memory, but also it motivates him because now that Iceman is dead, there's no one in leadership to protect him, which is why, you know, after Mm. that happens, the next scene, John Hamm swoops in. He's like, by the way, fire, you're fired, fuck off. And I'm going to take over this whole mission. And then Maverick is like, well, you know what? If you're going to mess with my mission, I'm going to show you that it can be done. And right. then there's that whole incredible sequence where he runs the test run and pulls it off. Not not arguing with the logic of like removing Iceman from the equation of protecting Maverick's character throughout his, you know, like his thing, but Iceman could have retired in order to do that, right? Like I I and, and I'm saying again, uh it, it's only because we're using someone's very public, you know, affliction and in a way, you know, like Look, again, like I say, Val Kilmer, I'm sure, is fine with it. I'm sure everybody is fine with it. But at least for me personally, I was like, again, because it's the melding of someone's real affliction with their public character, there was just something about like, did he That's the public perception that that's that melding, though. The movie's not doing that melding. Like, like, and again, if... I mean, I think think by using his character with his very specific cancer and... And then making a point of the fact that Val Kilmer can't speak well, anymore, to, to be, and then to be having very, a scene to, where he does speak. To be very you know. fair, uh, I don't know if the cancer or the uh, affliction that Iceman has in this movie is in fact the exact affliction that Val Kilmer has, uh, character to actor, so I'm not going to say that. What I'm saying is the movie in and of itself is is use, is basically wants to honor the character that he played before, wrote a part around it, and then made that function in the plot line, which again, to Matt's point, is a mirror of what happened. It's like the same, but different. It's right. a mirror of what happens in the first Top Gun. Goose dies, that's the sort of emotional touch point of the movie. Here, Iceman dies, that's the emotional touch point of the movie. Yeah, I think what, uh, what, oh, I, what I would say to your point, Shahir, is, is yes, from a macro perspective, the whole thing feels a little icky. Mm. However, I would say, given the ickiness that comes with it, I feel that it works because they do in that one scene, a very good job of honoring him and allowing him to have more than just a token cameo. Like it's a meaningful scene. It takes its time. It's not, you know, it's not bam and done. And even though it's not the Illuminati, (laughs) it's not the Illuminati, Right. uh, you know, for, for only typing on a screen, he does a lot. Hmm. And then he says one one line as well, which I, which is, which I think is dubbed because I think it's dubbed. He's, he's got, he's got the, like the the microphone thing. So, but either way, I felt that scene was beautifully done 
So I see your point about the ickiness, but I feel like they cleaned it up enough to make it work for me. Like, like I say, if everyone involved is okay, and I, it's just me as the audience that's feeling a little icky about it. The other side that, that is kind of like, it's not icky, but it's kind of like par for the course of what we are what we're doing here, which is the 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 lack of reference to you know like in a movie that's so steeped in nostalgia and reminiscing about the past a key figure in the past movie was kelly mcgillis's character yep. uh who you know like ultimately you know uh i i think in the movie she gives up her cushy job in order to be with tom cruise and then is ostensibly forgotten because the actress who you know kelly mcgillis probably doesn't fit what the movie is trying to do um and then you know like I found that the the replacement of with Jennifer Connelly was just kind of wafer thin. You know, it was like he's got this past fling. She only talks about how great he is, and you know, she only talks about like it, it's that thing, which is that everyone around him is kind of like wandering around the fact that he's he's just the best at what he does, and he's got to fly. And as, well, it's to like, be fair, we just. It's, we just spent the last 45 thin. minutes. We just spent the last 45 minutes talking about how great this guy is. So yeah. now we have a problem with characters saying how great he is. Like, come on. That's, we just literally but even Kelly McGillis' character in the first film like, has to negotiate that by like saying, maybe you're not the best at this. And like this new character who's ostensibly filling the same role uh, is kind of just like, uh, uh, um, again, just a cardboard replacement for 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 that role at all. You know, like it does it doesn't really serve any function. I don't know. I I felt like the performance is kind of the elevated and otherwise and otherwise uh, an otherwise sort of cookie cutter thing. The thing that I found interesting, um, Penny is actually tied, and I didn't realize this into the original film in two kind of subtle ways. They like didn't like they tried to they tried to weave it as best they could. Right. Um, the first is there's two lines uh, when someone's talking. Uh, Stinger, I believe, in the first one says, "History of high speed passes over uh, over five air control towers and one admiral's daughter." Right. That's the sort of like one hint at yeah. it. And then the other uh, one is Meg Ryan's character of Carol says, "Who also he told died?" All- <laughs> yeah, like, I know she's dead. He, uh, <laughs> he told me all about the time you went ballistic with Penny Benjamin. Right. And so. They like again. It's not. This is not a a deep a, a deep rooted thing by any means of the imagination. But I do appreciate that they kind of like. Oh, okay. Her name is Penny. She's a, she's an admiral's daughter. She did this sort of like. There, there's there's like a little bit like. At least there's the a, a a iota of sort of history there. But again, I don't even know if it mattered because like. Uh, again, other than we can get into the awkward sex scene uh, very, very, very soon, because what the fuck was that? Uh, just a um, mirror of the awkward sex scene in um, in the first movie. It's, no, you you watch your tongue. That, that, oh, I watched a lot of tongue in that first one. <laughs> Let me tell you, that, there's a lot that, of gross tongue in that first one. <laughs> gross, my God. What are you talking about? It's fantastic. I think the... the, the all right, we're, we're, we're here. We're talking about the sex scene. Let's just do it. <laughs> okay. Uh, this, this is the only point in the movie where I felt disappointed and also felt like it was just the lamest choices they could have possibly made. I think, personally, sex scenes in the 80s are the best sex scenes they've ever been. They don't need excessive nudity. What they need are silhouettes. Silhouettes. Blue moonlight <laughs> with sheer curtains blowing in the wind in slow motion. Mm-hmm. And lots of laying down and kissing, and and what just the, the hints. What was the song? Again? The meatloaf effect. It was uh, take take take, take my, my breath away. Was the song from yeah. And again, so so beautiful beautiful sex scene. Lots of tongue. Very erotic. Wonderful. Right. Great. A plus in the first Top Gun. This one, she leaves the door open yeah. when they go out on their date. Hot move. Way yep. to go, Jennifer yep. Connelly. That's totally good. approved. Yeah. He goes in. They kiss. 
They get to the lay down part and then they just fade to them in bed. You know not what I liked once. about that? You, just, not, just what I liked about that part, though. I was like, yeah, these are two six-year-old people like in bed together. Yeah. They're just going to like talk, you know, like and hang out. Yeah, and, like, I mean, sure. They might fuck, but, but you know, like. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, companionship but, is important. <laughs> but given the fact that you have a song for your movie written by Lady fucking Gaga <laughs> and it's called Hold My Hand and you don't play that song over the sex scene, what, you know what, what are you doing? Walk out of the room. You fucked up. You fucked up big time. Yeah, I'm. I, I, you know, I uh, the 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 song at the end. I, I, it, it, it didn't. Yeah, it didn't ring. It sure me. is fine. It sure um, is. It sure is okay. Yeah. The 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 scene that I want to talk about actually happened right after the sex scene, and I didn't expect it to actually hit me. Uh, the, and it actually did. The, the I don't think the audience in my particular theater had a larger like gasp than the the moment when he falls down off of the roof. <laughs> And he sees the daughter and everyone. It, it, it wasn't like this was the biggest emotional thing, but it was the biggest emotional whiplash because everyone just sort of went like, when the daughter catches them, them leaving. And then it's like that back and forth for a second. And she, the daughter very earnestly gives a very simple line of like, just don't hurt her again. Mm-hmm. And the entire audience, like, and Tom Cruise does a great job as a reaction in his face and all that stuff. The audience went from, oh, oh, like everyone, like it was. It was the quickest turn I'd seen in a long time. And, and I don't think that the scene itself is particularly breathtaking or, or there's something super special in that one moment. But I think it's sort of a microcosm of why I think this entire movie works as well as it does. Right. And that is that every moment of this movie is, a, is much greater than the sum of its parts. And that is a very... I don't know, in my opinion, sort of 80s or older school way of, of thinking about a blockbuster filmmaking. Like now it's like, oh, you need this thing. You got to get this monster here and you put the green screen stuff there. And then there's this, the third act twist and blah, blah, like whatever. This felt all like everything, including the small moments, was important and thought out. And it felt like it was not beholden or at least it was tricking me to th- make me think it wasn't beholden to like a typical sort of action movie-esque structure and the entirety of all of those things put together and, and of course the the practical effects and uh, the the uh, actors all bringing their a-game and having you know homeroom with tom cruise in the morning like all those things kind of add up to feeling special and so when a small moment like that that could easily be blown over or whatever, you're already so invested in the emotional arc of the movie that when it pulls off something like that, mm. like it like it locks in. Yeah. And it like it that's the movie, that's the moment when it just was like, and it's all there. Like I was enjoying myself, but now I'm like, and you have me, and I cannot get away. And it's I'm still parsing exactly why. That's the that ramble was the closest I can get right now. <laughs> um yeah, it was just really interesting. I think I well I think on 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 those terms the movie is simplistic, um, but there's a sort of like a an honesty to the simplicity of it all. Sure. And and you know like nary a false note about about what it's trying to like even the you know like my ickiness with the with the Val Kilmer thing. I don't think it's like a false note. I'm just sort of talking about the the relationship that the movie has to real life and, and that sort of thing. But it's I think similar ickiness movie, I had with the with the nebulous country. I yeah. think we're we're looking at yeah. we're having a similar icky yeah. feeling, but from different different, different points of view. But yeah. but at the same time I I I feel 
like, you know, we haven't really talked about Joseph Kaczynski here, who I think, you know, again, visually, you know, came out the bat with Tron uh, Legacy. But, you know, but a movie that doesn't work, but like visually absolutely like an eye you know he he originally wanted to be an architect i thought he was an architect he, but but wanted to to break into to filmmaking and that's how he ended up yeah doing he, tron he wanted to be an architect uh, that whole or is world. an architect but it has that sort of like incredible precise visual um sense of design um that is like that is just be- like when i watched that movie i was like it, it really it sucks that this movie does not work because it is gorgeous and like the you know like it, it's it's stunning and i think that 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 by the way is is a perfect example of a movie that rhymes too much with its predecessor i feel like tron legacy is literally just it's a legacy tron as well yeah. all over again yeah yeah um and and they don't even try to like change or or improve upon the flaws of the first one they just do the first one again plot point for plot point yeah which i think Maverick does differently. And and I think, you know, like to that point, um, Kaczynski has like been working away from both his aesthetic sense um, and, you know, like just leaning into, um, I, I was surprised again because I, how much um, Michael Bay has really tried to embody the Tony, the, the Tony Scott aesthetic, but like how much Kaczynski kind of like not only gets the aesthetic, but also gets the kind of like surface pleasures of a Tony Scott movie in a way that, Michael Bay really doesn't quite get, you know, like, like, you know, like there's a, there's a factor to, I mean, arguably the later Tony Scott, like thing with, you know, Man on Fire or Domino or things like that, um, where he really go, not goes off the rails, but really turns everything up to 11. Um, oh, he went off, he went off the rails with Domino. Let's be, <laughs> yeah, <real>. let's be honest. <laughs> that movie's a mess. But, but, you know, he turns it up to 11 and I think, you know, uh, in the, and I, again, I like Michael Bay's work. Uh, I think when Michael Bay emulates the, the Tony Scott aesthetic, he kind of takes the the visual sense of it as opposed to the the sort of um, the narrative pleasures that are in Tony Scott's films. And again, that's why, like, t- again, for me, Crimson Tide, again, is, is like, it's a masterful film um, on almost every level. And it's like, it, it marries both his, like, his his aesthetic slickness with like a narrative that actually really has something to say and works really 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 well and i think what what top top gun is not that movie for me but top again coming back to that original is like when i watched the original again i was like man aviator sunglasses tom cruise the f-114 tomcat you know like those songs there's just such a there's such an overwhelming sense that that movie is a moment in time like perfectly encapsulated and it's a wafer thin movie but it like it carries so much of like what mattered about the 80s um whether good or bad in that single in that single movie and then you know to revisit it and actually in many ways make a superior film um is a is a real challenge and i think it just does um it does it does this amazing thing which is that it doesn't try to escalate the 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 volume but it escalates the complexity of the of of the task at hand you know like it is this one task that they have to do and they just keep replaying it you know uh, the the famous one and you we, we talked about james cameron before um you know titanic uh is a movie that gets much maligned for uh it's it's cheesiness as a screenplay but that 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 brilliant structure that it has which is show the simulation of the titanic at the beginning talk all the way through what has happened what happened to the titanic and how it broke apart and what happened when these pieces fell and then at the end of the movie in the last act 
we get to see it work out. It means that we know what's going to happen and still get curveballs thrown at us. Exactly. This movie kind of operates on that level. And Christopher McQuarrie, um, you know, with his work with Tom Cruise is really... Is, I, I, get, I don't think like he challenges the Tom Cruise star persona because he is a vehicle by which to Tom Cruise, you know, like expresses himself in those blockbuster movies. But I think he's really like honed in onto like what makes those movies good and are added some craft to it. Not to mention, you know, like Christopher McQuarrie wrote one of my favorite screenplays of all time. Um, you know, The Usual Suspects. So which, you, you, oh. Yeah, The Usual Suspects. Uh, one of the greatest screenplays of all time. Um, and it would be really interesting uh, to, to see uh, if Tom Cruise uh, would ever uh, do a movie of that ilk with Macquarie, you know? Please, uh, please, so. please. Please no. Please really? No. <laughs> I'll, 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 be, I'll be on the other side of this. I'm going to quote the great Roger Ebert Okay. Uh, in, in his review of The Usual Suspects. I don't want to get into this because it's too long. It's too long. He said, he said in his review, uh, and you can read it on his, his site, right. uh, I've seen The Usual Suspects twice, and I took notes both times. And, the, and to the degree that I understand the plot, I don't care. <laughs> and that's basically how I feel about The Usual Suspects. Wow. Anyway. Anyway, right. anyway, it's 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 a nonsense movie. Oh if you want to complain, oh my god! If you want to complain, if you want to complain about movies where they're like, it was all a dream. Well, then that's what the Usual Suspects is. That's, it's just bullshit he made up the whole time. Is. All right. Anyway, anyway, anyway I, I don't want to. I don't want to. That movie is not. It was I, all I, a dream I, I, movie. Hey, hey I'm, we're I'm talking it about. To, we're talking, <laughs> talking about Top Gun Maverick. We're talking about actors filming themselves in fighter jets. Um. I, I, I want to touch on a point that, that Shahir made, which is I do think that Maverick does improve on the paper, uh, improve on Top Gun, uh, the original, um, in the fact that we know right from the beginning what the stakes are and what we're working toward. Because the first one, it's basically, it's like a Harry Potter film. It's, it's Hogwarts for, for fighter pilots. You're really just spending a year with them or six months or whatever yep. as they learn how to fly and be really good at flying. And then the third act, they just randomly happen upon some skirmish that they have to deal with. Mm. And their skills that they've learned are now tested. Whereas in this one, from the beginning, it's like, this is the mission we have yeah. to pull off. Yeah. I'm training you to see who can pull it off. And then we're going to try and actually pull it off. Right. And that made the movie so much more enjoyable for me because yeah. it was clear what we were working toward. It was clear what we were working on. And I understood why, you know, all the, the, the character arcs that we're going through through the movie, why, you know, how we're going to pay them off in that, right. in that final act. And it's not just the action sequence that gets paid off in the end. All of these character arcs get yeah, paid off really yeah. nicely in that last sequence as well. Yeah. I, I think Goose All is, better than the like first Goose's one. Like, Goose's son is, um, is uh, top-tier manipulative filmmaking. But it's like, it works. It really works. And, like, Tom Cruise pulls, like, the ultimate dad move with some flares at the end of that movie, at the end of the, uh, uh, at the end of the run when he, like, flies over and saves Goose. And I was like... Top tier dad move right there. You know, like like surrogate dad for a person who lost his kid. Love it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know. Uh, and really nice, beautiful, subtle, like father-son moments yeah. without them without Tom's having to say, like, I saw you as my kid. Yeah, like, yeah, no, exactly. it's just yeah. it's just it's, you, it's say, you say it best when you yeah. say nothing at all. And just a hug, a look. Yeah. Yeah. It's all I need. Make um, Ryan's dead, though, just just to be clear. She's, just to be she's very clear. She is <laughs> dead. She's very dead. She is hundred percent. Did. <laughs> um, she, I, yeah, before they said that, I was like, oh, is she going to come back? Yeah, no, I was like, um, but this, and that's the part of this where it's just like, oh, yeah, we, we, we'll bring people back to an extent, but not, you know, like not fully. Maybe she yeah. was asked. Who knows? I don't yeah. fucking know. Yeah. Uh, but speaking of, speaking of uh, the last thing I kind of want to touch on 
is like the the marketing behind this movie and the training that all the actors had to do to get these practical effects. The way that they word it, and I know mm. they did a lot of flight school, and they did, they yeah. like learned biplane, and then they learned uh, they learned uh, more jets. But like they also, from my understanding, were not allowed to fly the fighter jets. The mm. Navy has said ex- ex- explicitly that they did not they have permission to fly the jets. They weren't allowed to touch the controls. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So wh- who's control? Like I was trying to look at the shots. They're in the back seat. Yeah, they're, they're, I think it's for, a, it's for all their shots, plane. they're in the back seat. Yeah, they're just in the back seat of the plane. Yeah, yeah. So, the, right. so the well, particular planes enough. they have have like a fighter pilot at the front and a and a space at the back. And I guess the interesting thing here, um, again, there's a lot of marketing that goes into this. Yeah, um, and a lot of emphasis will be placed upon Tom Cruise designed uh, an aerial flight program for the for the actors. Uh, and you know, like I'm sure he's involved in that, but I'm I'm also sure that from a marketing point of view, it's great to say Tom Cruise did this, uh, you know, by himself. Um, I watched I watched the the materials, and it is interesting how they're like, they did this, they flew this plane, they flew this plane, they yeah. went through the Navy training because they won't let you in that seat until you go through the Navy training, yeah. and then. It's all practical. They had to shoot the cameras while they were in the plane. And the way that they word it and the way that they sort of do it, it implies very heavily yeah. that these actors are flying these jets. And they're not. And I, I, I'm not mad at this. This is not a this Look, is not I, a I don't think there should be any situation where those actors are flying those planes. <laughs> no, 100,000%. But it's just so interesting to me because most people that I've spoken to about this, the first thing out of their mouth is, did you know the actors flew the planes? And I was like... Well, they <laughs> they were in them. They're they in were them. They're in, in the plane, the plane and, and they did fly planes, <laughs> but not those plane. Like it's just look, and I, kudos to the yeah. marketing team for what they did because I think it's actually a really really smart yeah move. And and also and also, also it's uh, kudos. No, oh, sorry. Go ahead, man. Sorry. I was gonna say kudos, kudos to the cinematographer because I actually just pulled up one of the stills from the movie. Yeah. And yeah, knowing that it is a double seat plane. The camera's clearly mounted on the the headrest of the front seat. Yeah, because you don't you don't see the front of like the the, yeah. the glass covering or whatever it is, but you can see Tom seat wings, uh, you know, yeah. missiles and everything like that. It's really brilliant framing that makes it look like he is indeed flying. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And and you know, like um, the technology, like they really. I mean, again, it's in the PR notes. It's in the press liners. It's it's definitely the selling point that they will make about this. Um, but it, whether real or not, um, the the idea that that they really committed to the idea that these should be real planes with the actors reacting in real time. Um, you know, like to the extent where they say that the, that the actors had to like button the cameras on and off. You know, once they were in the air, uh, and then mm-hmm. do their takes and then button the camera off and that sort of thing. Um, it's 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 brilliant. I, like. I'm sure there's a team of VFX people that are in that oh, yeah. probably did a bunch of VFX on this film that were like, hey, you know what? I just want to point out that you know, like not all these situations are you know created that way. But again, the the end result that the audience should get away with is a, akin to what we expect from a Buster Keaton movie. What we expect from when we used to watch Charlie Chaplin, which was that we are watching people who are being physically put to the limit. Um, in order to to provide us entertainment, and then we should therefore enjoy the fact that there is a degree of reality involved in this. How much that degree is 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 debatable, um, but again, that is different to the the model of blockbuster filmmaking that has been happening on the other side of this. Hundred percent. And it and it and you know what? Um, I I I 
I'm happy. It cost me $60 to see this movie for two people. And I'm like, fine. It's fine. You know, yeah. like happy about yeah. it. Yeah. The, the, the only point that I would make is I, I'd wager the only like mostly CG sequence in the movie is the opening. The cold open. Right, right. With the, with the uh, yeah. Because yeah. I, I don't think that plane even exists. I'm sure they shot it with a similar plane. And then in CG, like, made it look, like, slightly different. Because that, that shot with Ed Harris, like, standing at the, at the front gate as the jet goes over and blows the roof off of everything. Like, that's, they clearly did that with a jet. Yeah. Right? I don't know if they did it with the one that's in the movie. Right. But. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's safe to say, Matt, you and I, I think, are in the same camp. Or we're, we're just, like, hyper sort of into this. Though, Shahir, by the end, I, I feel I like you... I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Highly recommend it. Okay, Matt. Five, five stars. I'm going I mean, to see it again you know, this week. I don't know about that, but, you know. I did see Five it. stars. <laughs> I did You're wrong, Shahir. Five stars. I did see it in Limax. I do want to see it in IMAX, um, just because I do think it would pay. It would be worth the worth the spectacle I, of what was done. I, I will say the volume in IMAX is a little disconcerting because the, the sound of jet engines are not sexy. They're just loud. And so the... Uh, the the actual volume in IMAX was not um, was not pleasurable, but the you know the sheer scale of it is all, is yeah. always, in yeah. real IMAX is great. Well, disagree. Yeah. I want to well, feel look, it in my bones. You lost it with the usual suspects, buddy. Just just wow. keep going. Wow. No, 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 no. What we get? <laughs> the that rift. movie's trash, and you know it. The rift. The rift is growing. Oh well, until we have time to discuss this, this has been the only podcast about the film Top Gun Maverick. Matthew. Thank you so much for coming on the show again, buddy. Thank you for having me on, guys. I got to talk about uh, one of my two favorite actors of all time. So I'm, I'm more than happy to be here to talk about T. Cruz. Who's the other one? Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> no, I, I, no hesitation. He's hard, hard agree. Hard yeah. agree. Um, when you were not busy <laughs> making feature films, my friend, where can folks find you? People can find me on the gram. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm trying my best not to be on the whole social media thing, but I like pictures. I make pictures, so I'm on the gram. You can find me at Simply Bronsdorf. The word simply and my last name, Bronsdorf. Nice. Shahir, when you are not feeling a very specific need <laughs> for uh, cinematic analysis, that is, where can folks find you? Am I feeling the burn? of cinematic analysis is that what's i mean it? only if you have to uh, go see a doctor i, I can't itch? i can't tell you that. is there yeah. an itch and a burn of cinematic yeah, analysis i mean yeah uh, but wait till you're in new zealand because then it won't cost you as much money <laughs> that's true that's true uh you can find me scratching that itch uh and, and soothing that burn at my website at www.shahirdaud.com that's s-h-a-h-i-r-d-a-u-d.com matt when you are uh being my wingman where can people find you Oh man, I'll I'll be your wingman anytime. Well, be your mind, but to higher, further, faster, baby. I don't know. You can find me at my website m a t t h e w k r o l dot com. My life and works. Also, Skeletor the number four P R E Z on Instagram or P S N, and of course Emperor M S K on Twitter. Uh, please check out the good works we are doing over at Extra Credits. By this point, we will have wrapped up our Tulip Mania series on Extra History, and um, there is a spectacular uh, episode that we are going to release right beforehand. Uh, it's a one-off. Uh, the Child and Teen uh, Checkups of Minnesota sponsors some really great um, so, uh, history things that basically don't get to... Uh, see the light of day from time to time, either because they're complex medical histories or they're just incredibly dark. But there's, um, I don't know if any of you are familiar with the um, the boarding schools in Native American countries that uh, Native American countries, Native uh, 
Sorry, I'm going to mark. Sorry that. about that. I, I yeah, like, it's okay. I got. It, I got. It. Uh, I don't know if either of you are familiar with the uh, U.S. boarding schools for Native Americans after the Indian Wars, um, but they basically took the U.S. government took a bunch of kids and tried to reform the uh, Native American culture out of them in institutionalized military schools. Air quote. I'm it's reading. Fuck- I'm reading David Grant's book, uh, Killers of the Flower Moon, which is being uh, adap- adapted into a, into a Scorsese movie. Which It is dark as hell. Yeah. I did not know half of this. This is the kind of shit that should be taught to help so the fact that it doesn't happen again. Uh, and uh, so we, that just got released. It's not an easy topic, but I think it's an important one. So please go check that out over at Extra Credits. Forget, forgive me for not being able to remember the title, but there's a children's book too that we got for Fox that we read to him every night. That's sort of like about that, and it's about like a little girl talking to her mm. grandmother and trying to understand like why don't why don't I speak the language you speak? Why don't I wear the clothes that you wear? Mm. Uh, because she's in this special school. Yeah, right. yeah. That's I mean that's so. that's good that they're that's good that that's 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 heartening to hear. Thank you for sharing that. Well, yeah, not if, uh, <laughs> not if uh, people who opposed uh, CRT critical race theory or uh, get into the banning of books uh, uh, conversation that's happening across the country right now. Yeah. yeah. Oh boy. Anyway, anyway, we go see saw a movie the Pew Pew Jet, jet movie. Um, <laughs> next week, uh, I think, <coughs> are we going to a different country, Shahir? Are, are we, we going to see uh, talk about one of the largest blockbusters on the planet? I think we are going to visit the Tamil film RRR. And I, I'm not sure how to do it without sounding like a pirate. RRR. Well, you do it by the first way you said it, not the second. You have RRR. Yeah, yeah. That still go. sounds like a pirate to me. That still sounds like a, a high class tea chugging pirate. <laughs> yeah. That's that that that's a that's an uh, episode of your show that I will listen to before seeing the movie because I do want to see that. That's the guy who directed Bahubali, right? Yeah, Bahubali. Yeah. Uh, Babuli. It's Babuli. It's Babuli? Well, that's the way I say it. I don't know. I could be wrong. It's oh, Tamil, not uh, I, Hindi, which uh, uh, which is not the language I speak, but I I always heard it Babuli. Oh, interesting. Because uh, I could be wrong. Bridget, Bridget and I, we we watched the first one, and it took forever to find the right version in the proper language. Yeah, yeah. And at least at least in the version that we we watched, they pronounced it Bahubali. But maybe I, maybe I, again, I could be, there's like I, six different there's like six different versions with like six different dubbings on Netflix, which is very infuriating. Just give me the original version, man. Yeah. There should be a yeah. book about like why does Shahir not speak the language my parents speak? And, it, <laughs> and the and they're in the last page is because you're an idiot. <laughs> That's what. <it> is. <laughs> Okay. Well, everyone, we'll talk at you next week. Uh, Until then, enjoy us being your wingmen. Uh, Look to your left. There we are. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. I know we're not recording yet, but I just want you to know that uh, this very calm exterior that you see before you is barely containing my excitement for this episode. I'm glad. I'm glad. And I was recording that, so we're going to put that in the episode. (laughs) It's going at the end. You'll never know. No. Until we just told you.